Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. So uh, today's gospel is the first gospel, which is after the the Feast of the Nativity. And this is always the gospel which is read as the first gospel, which is after the Feast of the Nativity. And is oftentimes, in other churches anyways at least, called the gospel of the slaughter of the innocents, where Herod, the king, uh, decides to kill all the children who were under age two. Um, and where does this age two business come from? Well, historically, we're not 100% sure how long the Magi were following the star. Um, if you read carefully in the Gospel of Matthew, where the Magi are having this conversation with Herod, it says, and he determined from them the time at which the star had appeared. So Herod was not sure um, if Jesus was born when the star appeared or when he, if he was born when the Magi arrived. Neither are we really because it's not, um, it's not clear. Uh, uh, and so some historians and Bible commentators have surmised, but this is just totally like an extrapolation, um, that the star appeared approximately two years before the birth of Christ. Um, uh, and the Magi followed it all of that time, giving them enough time to reach um, Bethlehem for the birth of Christ. Um, anyhow, the short of the long, Herod didn't know how long, you know, uh, had this baby been alive, how, how old was this baby. So he said all those who were under the age of two, um, and they were, they were all uh, martyred. Um, and um, this gospel is kind of hard, very hard for us, especially in modern culture, to kind of accept it and to kind of to even find it palatable that it be in um, in scripture. And this whole idea of of uh, innocent people dying is very difficult for us, even in this in our modern day, and I'm sure in their time as well. Um, hence the prophecy um, that um, Saint Matthew is recording. A voice is heard in Rama, weeping and a great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Why Rachel? Because Rachel was born, uh, was buried, sorry, in that, um, in the area of Bethlehem. And so that's why he's saying Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they, they are no more. What is the message of this gospel for us anyways in this modern day? Always we look to the psalm to direct us to, to what the gospel um, uh, is focusing on for us. The psalm says, The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. We find a bit of a contrast in these two verses. The first one says, He has made salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations, to all the nations. But the second verse says, he has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. What is the Lord saying to you and to me in this gospel? We find in this gospel that um, um, Jesus and the Holy Family escape to Egypt. Um, there is a Swedish um, missionary who was atheist, and when he became Christian and started reading scripture, he realized that the only country that Jesus visited outside of Palestine was Egypt. And so he decided that it was ridiculous that, um, that Egypt was predominantly a Muslim country, 
being the only country that the Lord Jesus Christ visited outside of Egypt. So what did he do? He took, uh, he, he, he flew to Egypt and he went to the bottom um, uh, of the Nile or top of the Nile, like where um, uh, uh, the Egyptian and Sudanese border is. Um, and he had a, asked a carpenter there to build him an enormous cross. And he started carrying it up the Nile. And as he carried it up the Nile, people asked him, what are you doing? So he told them, I'm here to share with you the love of God, being the only country that the Lord Jesus Christ visited other than Palestine, outside of the land where he was born and he served. Uh, you know, you must know and uh, believe in the love of God for you. Um, of course, uh, it was needless to say, uh, only a few hours or days before he was apprehended and he was uh, then um, uh, put placed under uh, house arrest and you know beaten up, beaten up somewhat and then exiled from Egypt to never return um, to never return again. But it's a, 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 a short story telling us a little bit about how um, those who come to believe new in the faith sometimes have a revelation that we don't always see. And the Lord knows that, and that's why, <clears throat> that's, that's part of the significance of this gospel. I won't talk about it too much, because there's also a feast of the Lord um, uh, uh, entering into Egypt, um, and uh, usually this is what we talk about around that feast, um, is uh, and it's not so much that it's Egypt. I mean, like you know, being of Egyptian ethnic heritage, you know, that might be relevant to me. But it's it's that the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ went out to the nations, and that's the first verse in the psalm. He has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. That the Lord Jesus Christ cares about all nations and all peoples, not because he was. Uh, born and ministered in Palestine or Israel, that, um, that that was more relevant to him than the peoples of other nations. In fact, Jesus himself went and ministered and preached, even as a baby, even as an infant, even as a young child. It's estimated that he spent up to age four in Egypt before they, before they returned uh, back to Nazareth. That that during all that time, signs and miracles were following them everywhere and people were believing little by little that God had visited his people, that God was here and visiting his people. The Lord Jesus Christ is telling you the first message of the gospel today is telling you and me that Jesus came for everyone. He came for you and he came for me. What I've discovered is that all of us are a little, forgive me, I'll speak about myself, I'm a little weird, right? I was going to say, all of us are a little weird, you know? Everybody thinks that the other guy is normal. Everybody looks in the mirror and says, I'm, I'm too tall, or I'm too short, or my nose is like this, or my cheeks are like this, or whatever. That's about our physical appearance. But then about our character, um, and then about, uh, you know, our disposition, and then about our, you know, professional uh, skills and abilities. We always kind of look at others as the norm, as the standard, and we look at ourselves and we always see something as different. Jesus came for the different. Jesus cared about going to those who were different. He even went to Egypt. In all the Old Testament, Egypt is used as like 
like the symbol or the like like metaphorically as like the stronghold of Satan like the worst place in the whole wide world you could ever go right is Egypt and when Abraham goes uh, during a famine and he doesn't pray and he doesn't ask God and he goes to Egypt it's not looked upon well and when um, Joseph gets sold into slavery he gets sold into slavery where in Egypt right and when the people of Israel become slaves they become slaves to who to Pharaoh in Egypt right and so like the idea that Jesus went even he went even to Egypt right and um, uh, as it says in the book of Isaiah, out of Egypt I have called my son. So that's kind of telling us, um, you know, in a metaphorical way or in a, or, or in a spiritual interpretation, that even in the deepest and darkest places, the Lord is there. The Lord is there working signs and wonders. And if, uh, if, you're, if you're a little different or you think you're a little different... Notice probably everybody else thinks they're the ones who are a little different. But if you think you're a little different, if you think you don't fit in, if you think this and that and the other, know that Jesus came for you and he cares about you. And he finds you remarkable, distinguished, amazing, special. And he wants to reveal to you his righteousness. He has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Now the second part of the psalm says he has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. In the face of the slaughter of the innocents, in the face of the death of these righteous little babies, little children, little toddlers, in the face of such horror, the psalm says to us he has remembered his love and his faithfulness. When we see around us and when we watch the news and when we, you know, see all of these horrific things happening around us, people being slaughtered and blown to bits, right? We should repeat this psalm and say he has remembered his love and his faithfulness. Indeed, 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 the Lord is dear, deeply loving of those who have no one. Just yesterday, I was reading and preparing for the money series. And I couldn't help but come across a, a quote and share it with a couple of people who are particular advocates for the poor. St. Clement of Alexandria writes a letter and he says, who is the wise, entitled, who is the wise man that can be saved? Sorry, who is the rich man that can be saved? And in that letter by St. Clement of Alexandria, you can find it online if you just Google who is the rich man that can be saved? Clement of Alexandria. St. Clement says... For thus those who have nothing at all but are destitute and beggars for their daily bread, the poor dispersed on the streets who know not God nor his righteousness, simply on account of their extreme need and destitution of subsistence and lack of even the smallest things, were most blessed and most dear to God and the sole possessors of everlasting life. I want to ask you a question. These 144,000, we call them the 144,000 innocents of Bethlehem. These 144,000 children, aged 0 to 2, what did the, how did the Lord receive them at their death? Like, what do you think? What do you think was the disposition of, of, of all of heaven... When these children died. 
Now, yes, I'm not making a theological statement about eschatology, about, you know, like, you know, were the gates of paradise, uh, you know, uh, open to them prior to the cross and all of that. I'm not talking about that, right? We could talk about that some other day. What I'm talking about is, what do you think the heart of God is towards these innocent who suffer? What do you think the heart of God is towards the innocent who suffer in our day and age? What do you think the heart of God is towards the innocent who suffer in our own city? What do you think the heart of God is to those who are innocent and suffer in our own neighborhoods? Maybe in our own households, who suffer in silence, or who suffer and speak, but nobody really listens to them. Nobody advocates for them. Nobody cares about them. What do you think the disposition is of God's heart to these people? St. Clement tells us that whether they know God and His righteousness or they don't, they're the sole possessors of everlasting life. St. John Chrysostom says, From them we will beg intercession that the Lord may open the gates of the kingdom to us. Speaking about the poor per se. One of the contemporary fathers says, Of all the things that are pleasing to God, there are only three that are truly pleasing to Him. One is monastic obedience. Not all of us will become monks uh, and nuns. Another is to live all of our lives in purity and holiness. To live all of our lives in purity and holiness. Well... I've kind of fallen short of that, and I guess it's done for me. What's the third one? Maybe that's my only last standing hope. He says, to receive sickness and persecution with thanksgiving or with gratitude. So, these who suffer innocently are so dear to the heart of God. And if they thank Him... If they praise Him, they become, they become like the bright shining lamp of Christianity. I'll leave you with one final quote. Tertullian says that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Truly, truly, I promise you, I promise you. I don't know. Sometimes I stand and pray and I ask God, is this what He had expected for His church? Like when Jesus left, you know, the, 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 the sort of the planet in, in a certain sense and ascended to heaven, although he is always with us, the omnipresent and the Im, Im, immeasurable and the uncontainable and so on. Yes, but when he ascended to heaven and he gave us his Holy Spirit, he didn't leave for us a theological school. He didn't leave for us a seminary. He didn't leave for us a philosophy or a way of, you know, or, 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 or something. He left for us, very simply, the church. And what the church spent its time doing at that time was going out and spreading the word. And for the most part, most of those who went out to spread the word were martyred. But that's not what we see happening today. Now we see that the church is, you know, these beautiful buildings and structures filled with, you know, God-loving, God-fearing people. Now we stay in. But before we used to go out. I don't know. I don't have any conclusions for you about what, about what 
the will of God is in this regard. But I know one thing for sure. Where there are martyrs, there are churches being planted and growing like this. There are churches being planted and growing like this. What was the great testimony of St. Paul? Did St. Paul go around telling people, look at me, I'm so good. I know the, the, the Old Testament scriptures inside and out. Look at me, God chose me to come and preach to you because I'm such a fantastic specimen of human creation. No. St. Paul went around telling them, you know who I am? Remember, um, remember six years ago, there was this wild man, wild man called Saul of Tarsus, right? And he was just getting all the followers of this new thing called the way, you know, these followers of a guy called Jesus, and he was, he was just slaughtering them one after the other. Yeah, that was me. And guess what? I met this Jesus on my way to Damascus. And he told me, Paul, what are you doing? Saul, what are you doing? We don't have time for this. Ain't nobody got time for that. Told him, Saul, what are you doing? I have a different calling for you. Come. I need you for something. I need you for something special. Come. And he chose me. He chose me, who was Saul of Tarsus. If he chose me, he can choose you. If he loved me and accepted me, he can accept you. What sin in the universe is worse than the sins that I did? That was the preaching of St. Paul. Jonah. What do you think it is about some Hebrew, i.e. from a, 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 a subordinate nation that is paying heavy duties and taxes to a greater nation, right? And he goes to the capital of this greater nation and they just see him and word spreads like wildfire. The, the city of Nineveh was three days journey. The city of Nineveh, like by, for him to get to the palace from the gates was a three day walk. That's how big Nineveh was. What was it about Jonah that made the word of that made his his testimony and call to repentance made the whole city repent and fast and pray for 3 days asking for God's forgiveness? The word spread faster than a human could walk. The word spread faster than a human could walk. What was it about Jonah? Honestly, I don't know and it's not recorded in scripture. But I wonder if it's if it's anything about him being swallowed by a whale. Honestly, this guy comes out with whale slobber all over him, seaweeds and the whole nine yards, and he tells them, you have to repent or God's going to burn this city down. I'm going to tell you, I didn't want to come here, but you don't know what happened to me to make me come here. And he tells them the most unbelievable story, and he looks like it actually happened to him. And they believe him, and they believe him. Oh my God, God really wants this guy here to tell us this, Otherwise, he's really going to destroy us. So they fast and they pray. But these people went out. These people suffered. These people suffered. The first church suffered. But I ask myself, I'm not, I'm talking in part to you all, but I'm talking really to myself. I'm like the church guy, right? I'm, I'm the one on salary. I'm the one wearing the black dress, right? Am I suffering? Am I suffering like the first church was suffering? Am I suffering like the, like the slaughter of the innocents are suffering? Is it my blood which is going to plant new churches? Or am I only good at quoting quotes of the fathers and saying all fancy stuff and doing some research for my sermons? Hmm. I don't know. 
In all of this suffering, the psalm is telling us he has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. Let's each one of us close our eyes and pray throughout the liturgy and ask God and tell him, Lord, your first church was a suffering church, was a persecuted church, was a slaughtered church. Are we where you want us to be now, Lord, or not? Is this what you want from us or not? Is this really what you have requested from us, Lord, or not? What is your heart, Lord? What must we do, Lord, that we may also live in the love and the faithfulness which you have remembered and wish to pour down upon us your holy church? Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.